All right. Uh, okay. 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 Just okay. bear with me. Okay. All right. Just bear. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners, to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am one of your hosts, Wendy, joined as always by my faithful companion, Melissa. And we are here today to talk to you about movies. Yay! Yay! We always talk about movies, really. Yeah. But but we're going to especially talk about movies today because we went to see new movies. I know, it was so great. <laughs> So, dear listeners, Yay. what we did was Wendy in Austin sat in a movie theater all day, and I in Minneapolis sat in a movie theater all day, and we watched all this new stuff. So we're going to talk about new movies today. Yes, and it was it was like a shared experience. I mean, come on, let's be honest. When you're sitting in the dark in a movie theater, it's nice to go with people, mm-hmm. but you don't talk to them during the movie. So there, there was something sort of... Um, oddly companionable about the fact that I knew that somewhere Melissa was also sitting in the dark watching a movie. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> we were watching movies at the same time, just that's, not in the same place. That's right. We, we were sharing our experience from across the nation from each other. And that we were seeing a lot of the same movies too. Yeah, we really were. And uh, also Fest showed up for the last two for me. So that was nice too. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. He's good for that. He is good. Hey, <laughs> Melissa, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking leftovers. <laughs> okay, so um, Allie was over this weekend, and we were recording some um, real education noir, and she brought over a port that we didn't finish. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, and and it's port, so therefore we didn't finish it all in one go, because, oh my God, sugar. Uh, but it is Winehaven, Minnesota Grape Winds Port. So... Uh, yes, you can make wine in Minnesota, and this is proof of that. And uh, it is very, very sweet, but uh, it's got a bee on the bottle, and the bottle is a lovely shade of blue, and I'm all for it. <laughs> I am continuing to drink, drink the cheapest wine I can find at the grocery store. That's awesome. It's a yellowtail uh, sweet red rue. I believe I've drunk this before on the podcast. I have drunkening it on the podcast before. <laughs> it is very pleasant when you chill it. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a punch. It's really just sort of a, a red wine punch in a bottle. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. And, and rue, it, it sounds like it's a, a cooking wine. It does, but it's Rue R-O-O, because there's a little kangaroo in the bottle. Oh, so it's not like Rue, like you go down to Nolens and you have Rue, but it's Rue. And it's also not Rue as in you'll Rue the day. It's like, Well, it might might be if you drink enough of it. (laughs) Probably. Let's be honest. Rue, Rue, Rue. It's a bouncy sort of Rue. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, so, it is right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just just because I have a microphone and I can use it. Well, All right. I can add a Doppler effect to that, so we can really exaggerate this. <laughs> that is the bonus of being an editor. I can fuck with the audio however I like. <laughs> can you add a little boing, boing, boing? I boom? sure can. Because I thought you could. All right. Um, so, listeners, um, as we mentioned, Melissa and I went to the theater, the theater. This, this last weekend um, for what we have dubbed Xana Cinna Holiday, <laughs> a day to create your own personal pleasure dome in whatever movie theater is closest to you. Yay! Yes, and and celebrate it with the movies of your choice. Yes, and there is there is no. N- n- while Melissa and I saw a lot of the same things, we there was no coordinated effort here. <laughs> well, there was because we picked a day. Yeah, that's the only effort the, that went into it. Yeah. And then it was still a difficult day because it was my anniversary celebration day. So I didn't get. I only got to see three movies in the theater, where I probably could have gotten five or six if I had had the whole day and had really tried. Yeah, I I actually got six. See, so, (laughs) but I'm excited at the three I got to see. I am so excited. So, um, Melissa, what time did you start? I started about 1045 in the morning. Mm. Yeah, because I started with The Martian. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you've seen The Martian, although you didn't see it. On Sunday, right? I have seen it previously. I made a special effort to get out to that very quickly when it released because I loved the book. Loved it. Yeah, I still haven't seen the... I haven't seen the book yet. I haven't read the book yet. But uh, now I finally caught up with the movie and I'm very glad I did. Um, Even though, you know, the US government has spent more than enough money rescuing Matt Damon, (laughs) as we all know, uh, because, you know, saving Private Ryan couldn't have been cheap. And, uh, uh, you know, there's this. And and Interstellar. Yeah, fuck that guy. But uh, The Martian, I really enjoyed. I, you know, um, as I... I'm very fond of saying Ridley Scott turns out a good movie about one every three movies. And I was fine with um, whatever that fucking thing was, Gods and Kings being shit, as long as it meant The Martian did well. And I'm glad to see that that prophecy was fulfilled. (laughs) His pattern held true. His pattern held true. Uh, The Martian is is his good one. So um, the next two will be like Prometheus level. So be prepared for that. Well, I believe one of the next one is the Prometheus sequels. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be watching that. Or maybe I will just because I feel like having a rage hard on. But uh, uh, we'll see. (laughs) You know what? There is a joy in watching something that you know will be bad. As we have discussed on this podcast before, if you approach it with the right mindset and with enough alcohol. I I feel like Prometheus is my own personal punching bag. <laughs> I've only watched it once, but boy, I have gotten a lot of stress out just by raging against that movie. But anyway, going back to The Martian, which is actually a good film. <laughs> it is. It is it so is. good. It's very and- good. Matt Damon is at his best. In mm. the, he's doing everything that he does so well, which is just be so damn likable. Yeah. And, and real. Yeah. Um, and um, it, I feel like he's very, very good for that particular protagonist, because as I understand it in the book, um, the, the protagonist is very kind of chatty, conversational. Yes. Um, I mean, he's stranded alone, but um, he's 
doing lots and lots of science to save his own damn skin, but also he just kind of wanders off into rambling about pop culture and things like that. And uh, Demon's very good at that. Well, yeah, because what's really great in the book, um, all of the stuff from him is the sort of text printout of his video entries. So it's video entries in the movie and in the books, it, it's his sort of like, this was his log entry for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and because number one, he is a scientist, he's a NASA astronaut and they are trained to record everything. And so he's like, I have to tell you exactly what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, everything that's happening all around me, because that is what I should be doing. Even if I die, if you manage to recover this, there will be so much information. But also because very quickly, you re- you recognize he's alone on this planet. And the only person he has to talk to is this imaginary friend in the camera. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's going to talk. He's just going to be like, blah, 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 please. I want to pretend somebody's there. Ah." (laughs) Um, Yeah. And he's, oh, the book is so delightfully snarky and they did capture that feel very well. Yeah. There were, there were um, some very delightful moments in, uh, amongst all of the characters. It's one of the, these really great movies where there's no enemy everybody's working together, everybody's, um, you know, working to achieve a common goal. I mean, the enemy is just the situation that they've been put in by and happenstance. Even, and, yeah. and I mean, they can snark at each other, but you know, everything's very good natured. And, and, you know, of course, this whole thing winds up being rah, 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 science, rah, 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 NASA, which I am all fucking for. I mean, yeah. we need a lot of that right now. Uh, and I absolutely adore it. You know, tears are shed. I did get emotional. I got verklempt. I really did. I really <laughs> did like the feel good of of this movie. I, I'm sorry if that's a spoiler to anyone that it's a feel, it, it winds up being a pretty good feel good movie. But um, it's, uh, it, it is very engaging. And, uh, you know, just exciting watching him overcome problem after problem after problem and do all this problem solving. And um, partway through the movie, I don't think this, it's a little bit of a spoiler. So, you know, close your ears, but he goes after Pathfinder. Yeah. To to harvest it for parts, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And I really got verklempt. It's like, oh, it's Pathfinder. <laughs> oh, you nerd. I oh, love you. Pathfinder. <laughs> and Pathfinder's going to help him. Pathfinder and, will help you. And I love that moment on the ground where they're like, oh, he's going to Pathfinder. So we have to go dig up what we know of Pathfinder. We have to go dig up the Pathfinder computers. We have to go dig up the guys who worked on Pathfinder mm-hmm. because this technology is now so out of date. Yeah. I just, uh, I love it. I loved um, how uh, when he has to strip down the vehicle at the end, mm-hmm. just how crazy it is and you really get the sense of just holy shit i don't there's this is not gonna end well (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna put a tarp over this oh man (laughs) yeah we're just gonna trust to a tarp to take care of that um yeah and i i know the author did Tons of research for this book. I mean, he was, it, it was literally, a lot of the science was literally crowdsourced because the author was writing this and putting it on the internet 
chapter by chapter. And he was getting actual NASA scientists interested and involved. And so like chapter by chapter, he was getting ideas from people on the internet. And he was going back and revising and fixing some stuff. To, so when the book came out, the science in it is really solid. So if I had, didn't have that background, I would have been looking at some of the stuff going, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I will say, because I read the book first, I almost wish I could have seen the movie with done it the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like, seen the movie first and then read the book because I was watching the movie and because I loved the book so much, I was aware of where they were making changes. And all of the ch- – it's a great adaptation. Every change they made, I was like, no, that's smart. I agree with that. That's good. Mm. But it meant that briefly I kept coming out of the movie to be considering what was happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. But – um yeah, they did a great job adapting it. The stuff that they took out, I'm like, yeah, it's a little unfortunate. The character of Annie, who's the press secretary, is a lot bigger in the book. Mm-hmm. But that's a role that when you watch it on film, you're like, yeah, that's the role that naturally would be a little bit more minimized just because of where they have to focus the story. Right. I like that there is conflict, but it, both sides, you can see both sides, like mm-hmm. between Teddy and um, the flight the flight controller guy. Right. Um, right. I, I love the moment where they they get the message, Rich Parnell is a steely-eyed missile man that will that will always get my little NASA cockles all warmed up when anybody <laughs> talks about being a steely-eyed missile man. It's just, oh, that's so sweet. And I love the moment because this is something unique to the movie from, from reading the book and loving it. There is a moment right towards the end and you can see so much emotion happening in his face Mm -hmm. so many warring emotions terror excitement sadness and just so much is happening there that i got teary-eyed just watching matt damon's face as he's contemplating i might die but on the other hand at the other end of this i might actually go home (laughs) also really worth seeing on the big screen. So dear listeners, if you haven't caught up with it yet, find a, a theater that's still showing it. Um, it's probably going into the cheap, the the second run theaters pretty soon now, but uh, it's it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I started my day earlier than you at okay. 10 a.m. I know, right? Anybody who knows me is like, what? Because if I was at the theater by 10, that means I had to wake up on my own, on purpose, on a weekend at nine. <laughs> I know how that works. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> but I started, I have to say, I started with a home run because I started with Creed. Oh, good call. Yeah. Yeah. You saw Creed later in the day, right? Yeah. I, I saw it right in the middle. Yeah. It's very good. It oh is really good. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. I was, I was, so there I am. I'm watching Creed and it was like... 45 minutes in where um, he sa- something was said. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was the moment right before his first real fight mm-hmm. where he, uh, <laughs> he like all of a sudden he just turns to me. He's like, you got to cut my gloves off. They're like, we just got you in those. You need to go out. You got to fight. He's like, you got to cut these off. What, what, they, they, okay. I got to take a shit. So either you're going to wipe my ass or you're going to cut these off my hands. <laughs> and I, I started laughing because uh, in the derby world, we call that bout outs because <laughs> it is a very common thing. Uh, adrenaline 
Mm-hmm. We, we know about fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Adrenaline also, um, part of how it helps you run faster is by eliminating anything that might weigh you down. Uh, when you get adrenaline rush, you also get the poops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, before derby bouts, it is a common thing for derby girls to be like, huh, I need to be out. The bout starts in five minutes. I got to go to the bathroom like right now. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, our wrist guards come off a lot quicker. So yeah. when that moment happened and I had that moment of, oh, I remember that. <laughs> the, I, I have this connection here. I'm like, I want to make sure I remember that. Oh, and so I got out a notebook and I started writing things in the dark while I'm watching the movie. So my handwriting is completely atrocious. <laughs> But uh, anyway, dear listeners, if you have been living under a rock and have not heard how great Creed is or what it is, it's uh, the next in the Rocky Balboa series. So it's it's a continuation of the Rocky Balboa saga, only it's uh, Apollo Creed's son. And, you know, Creed has, of course, long ago passed away, as detailed in the earlier films of the Rocky series. And um, he was killed by Dolph Lundgren's fist. He was. Boy, those weren't very good movies at that point. But <laughs> who'd have thought they'd get good again? So they're really good. Oh my god, they're really good. So um, once they realized they could let Sylvester Stallone age, they turned great again. So um, this movie is all about Apollo Creed's son, who who's a young punk who. Um, decides he wants to follow in his father's footsteps and and go into the boxing ring. And so he seeks out Rocky Balboa to train him. And of course, Rocky Balboa is now ancient and running a restaurant and uh, very much not interested in getting back into boxing. But of course, he gets sucked in and they start working together to get this young kid into the ring. And uh, you know, that you know how Rocky movies go. Yes, but yeah, but, but it's so good. Here's the thing. This is grade A melodrama. It is so well done. It the it it's a great character study of both Balboa and um, uh, Adonis Creed, and it is this it it portrays this world that feels very lived in, like if if it's like one notch away from documentary. You know when it comes to the the supporting characters and the and the bit parts and yeah, God, the, the way people inter- the way the characters interact. It's so good. It is so good. It really is. This is the movie that will remind you that Stallone can act because we get so used to him in like The Expendables, Ugh. where he's just sort of, um, you know, striding around just being macho. And when he goes in to inhabit Rocky, he is so sweet mm-hmm. and um, a little bit dim mm-hmm. and just, you know, very unassuming uh, and the, the kind of guy who, like, he knows what he knows. He doesn't think what he knows is all that amazing, but it apparently was good enough. And... I mean, I agree with Nordling. Like, he should be considered for an acting nom simply because you cannot get this movie as good as it gets without him playing that role to perfection. Right. And it's not a cheap or easy or slick portrayal. It is human and it's real. Mm-hmm. And you can see you can see the cost of the choices he's making. And um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there, there's a turning point late in the movie 
where he has to make a choice. And the first choice he makes, it's a tough choice. It, but it's a choice you understand. Mm-hmm. You really do. Mm-hmm. And But then the way it gets turned around is so beautiful. It's grade A melodrama. It's, it's having those relationships be important again, mm-hmm. which it's so easy when you've been alone for a long time to let relationships slide. And what I really, really fucking loved about this movie is because I can't help but be conscious of black culture with everything that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. The character of Adonis is so terrific. He is not a cliche thug who wants to make it good. Mm -mm. He, this is a kid who has already found success. Yeah. He's, he's already made a life for himself, but it's not the life he wants. And I love that. I love that he's smart. When you meet him, he is smart. He is capable. He is driven. He's already got what would be considered a good life. And at the same time, it is still, I mean, and this is coming from my place of privilege, so maybe I'm wrong, but to my inexperienced and outsider eyes, it is still, he still looks like a real black character, Mm -hmm. right? I don't feel like he's been whitewashed um well it, do, this... it doesn't feel like it's a white person writing his lines yeah. and he's performing them he he feels like a character who comes from is you know a, a different culture than you and i did yeah and 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 you get that sense even from the uh the background characters too because there's um i mean so many of the rocky movies are a love letter to philadelphia and um Especially in this one, there's a whole host of supporting characters that are non-white. It doesn't feel like a whitewashed world, at least to me. No. I mean, it didn't. He talks. He doesn't talk white. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, he doesn't talk like a cliche of a black person either. I, I will I will say that this is probably the best credential that I can give as a suburban white lady. Uh, I do follow several black uh, film commentators on Twitter, uh, female black film commentators. They do exist. And um, they are just agog over this movie. They are just, you know just amazed at it they're in love with it like every day um one one of the women is just going through twitter and retweeting all these people who have just uh discovered creed and are going nuts over it the movie is not about a race thing no at all at all it's not it 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 boils down to uh rocky coming to terms with his past and um the uh, apollo creed's kid coming to terms with his past and his oh, family. It's, it's and, your classic search for identity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And that, I mean, that's really all it is. And it's a beautiful bookend and parallelism to the very first Rocky movie. Mm-hmm. There's there's a moment, it's not a huge spoiler, when one of the commentators, as they're watching him fight, are like, wow, he's he has the moves like his father, but he's definitely fighting mm-hmm. like Balboa. Like, look at him flipping back and forth. He's taken the best of what both of them were so good at, mm-hmm. which I loved. I love just so many little character moments. Like when Rocky, like you could, like there's a moment early in the training where Rocky brings in other people and Adonis is like, but you were going to train me. And Rocky's like, look, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I'm not physically capable, mm-hmm. but I'm standing over here and I am watching you. Yeah. And I just... There was something so great about that. I love that he calls him ump. 
<laughs> why ump? Well, it's either that or OG, <laughs> which made me crack up. <laughs> What's OG? Old, <laughs> original old gangster. Yeah. <laughs> it just cracks me up. Um, um, the, I, the, uh, another thing I love about it is the, the best of the Rocky movies, it's not about the fight, like at all. The nope. fights, the fight is a MacGuffin, and that's kind of what where the Rocky movies got lost in the middle. There, <laughs> it's it it's not about it. It's really not about boxing. Although, um, I will say the the first fight that's in the middle of the movie, that's all one shot. That's a fucking impressive. <laughs> I didn't even notice that that entire fight is filmed in a single shot. Damn! I know. I was watching that. And it's like there are no cuts in this. That that is astounding. That is some amazing fight choreography. That's impressive. Yeah, dear dear listeners, it's really hard to spoil this movie because I mean, you you already kind of know the major strokes it's going to take because it's a Rocky movie, but all of the joy is in the characters and how they interact, and it it it's just so well done. It's it is so I well mean, done. You know what this movie is going to be. There's no real surprises except. How that it can remind you that just doing something well mm-hmm. can still be so effective. Like, it doesn't have to be new and original to still do a great job. Right. Like, you don't have to reinvent and, the wheel. And yet it is new and original because of how they're, how, how they're following these characters through the life. I mean, I, I think right, the Rocky Balboa series got interesting again when they started letting Rocky age. Yeah, when he when Stallone stopped when they didn't try to put Stallone in there like the guy from the Expendables, but instead mm-hmm. as a broken down, not very bright restaurant owner. And he is really old in this. <laughs> he plays very yeah. very old. And and it's it's fantastic. It is just fantastic. He's adorable. He, I I want to hug him gently. I will <laughs> I will also say this is an original movie because it is clearly from the reactions of black commentators this is a movie that is doing something that isn't getting done enough which is representing the truth of a culture Mm -hmm. without without cliche without being overblown and so i want to comment on just how schizophrenic the trailers before creed were (laughs) yes let's let's talk about some trailers shall we (laughs) did 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 you did you uh get the trailer for chirac in front of it Chirac, which one's that? The new Spike Lee joint? No, I did not. Oh man. Okay. Uh go go where you were going to go first. Okay. Cuz I didn't write down which trailers I I saw before it. All but I remember sitting there watching them going, "Holy shit, they really like they're trying to like cater to what they believe the niches are, but they're not they're like, "Well, it's a black movie." So look, here's a trailer for Barbershop, and here's a trailer for some Kevin Hart, Dwayne Johnson action flick, Um, and here's another trailer for something else that was, you know, clearly a black movie, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and you know how they cut those and show them that it's like, well, you're black, so this must be what you want. Look, it's black people, Mm -hmm. and there's no white people in them. Why would a white person see this movie, right? (sighs) And then on the other hand, there's like trailers for like serious heartfelt dramas. So on the one hand, you're getting like concussion, a trailer for concussion. Yeah. Which is Scott Will Smith. Which I'm interested in. 
but it's a serious heartfelt drama. So on the one end, concussion, and then the barbershop sequel, <laughs> which is this, you know, it's it barbershop. I don't want to denigrate it, but okay. How about that? Kevin Hart, Dwayne Johnson thing, which just looked ridiculous. And it's like, um, these have nothing tonally any like, cause normally when you see a set of trailers before a drama, they're usually all dramas. You see a set of trailers before a comedy, they're usually all comedies. Mm-hmm. This was so tonally schizophrenic because all that they had in common was black people's in them. And it was, just, I couldn't help but just sit there and be, I feel like if I were black, I'd be a little bit offended. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it's treating an entire ethnicity as a special interest group. Oh, look, you're black. You'll like this. Yeah. Or, oh, look, you're a woman. You'll like this. I mean, we see it all the time, too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. But, oh, I, the, <laughs> the concussion trailer. The concussion I want to see because, um, first of all, Will Smith actually acting, I'm always on board for. Um, yeah. Even though Ali wasn't very good, um, I blame the director for that. Will Smith was great. Oh, well, I I love Will Smith. Yeah. He, he's. Uh, it looks like he's actually playing something other than Will Smith in this, and I'm very happy. Well, and I, I am, well, as we all know, I'm a fan of the underdog sports flick. Mm-hmm. I have a love for sports movies, and this is at its heart a sports movie. And I feel like it is even going to be following the underdog tropes of, you know, here's this person who knows the truth and is going to fight to get it heard. And mm-hmm. the, the truth being that the NFL has known for years and years, decades, that football you know, yes, you know, it's a good thing we're paying you millions because you're going to get five years of a career and then you will never be able to do anything else. Right. Because brain damage. I mean, leaving aside all the other damage to your body, you're going to be mm-hmm. crippled for the rest of your life. And that's right. that's the thing that we don't ever get to see or hear about, like competitive gymnastics, these girls who are competing at 13 on the Olympic stage. By the time they're 18, they're done and they're in pain for the rest of their lives because of the way they've damaged their body. Mm-hmm. But we never get to hear about it, so we don't start talking about, maybe this isn't really worth it, really, yeah, guys. But, um, so yeah, so I do want to see the concussion. Oh my God, did you? But, oh, I want to talk about Chirac, because Chirac oh, yeah. was a trailer that played in front of my copy of Creed. Chirac is the new Spike Lee thing. Okay, it's pretty much an all-black cast uh, you know, it's got Samuel L. Jackson and a lot of the Spike Lee regulars, which I'm all about. It is set in Chicago amongst all the gang violence in Chicago, where all the women uh, who are dating or married to these gang members decide to uh, withhold sex to stop the violence. Therefore, that means Spike Lee is making Liz Estrada. Oh, my God. I know, right? I want to see this. That's brilliant. I will watch the shit out of this. <laughs> I mean, I find what Spike Lee does gen- often interesting in concept, but um, mostly kind of mediocre in execution. Well, I I think he's a marvelous director, but he's hit or miss whether he can pull the project together into like a, a very good whole. Uh, but it's always interesting. It's always interesting. Yeah. What was the uh, blackface one? Bamboozled. Bamboozled. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved it conceptually. I loved a lot of things about it, but it didn't pull together. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's my that's my complaint about a lot of his movies. But yeah, Spike Lee does Alyssa Strada. I will be there. I always find what he does interesting, even if it doesn't always succeed. Mm-hmm. 
Did you see? Oh my god! Did you see the Gods of Egypt trailer? Ugh, no, I didn't. <laughs> did, do, did are they making another White Egypt movie? Yes. Fuck. And I do know that when they dropped the trailer, the entire internet went, "What the fuck?" Uh, and then having now finally seen it on the big screen, what the fuck? Um, so you have Scottish Gerard Butler playing Egyptian god Set. <laughs> oh god. You have um what's his name? Jamie Lannister is playing um his, the other guy, Aim Ra, I think Ra. I don't know my Egyptian mythology all that great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you got this blue eyed blonde Aryan looking dude playing an Egyptian god. There are there is one person of color that I saw in the trailer, and Oy. he's he's clearly just sort of a supporting, supporting third-tier character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh, there is a Hispanic-looking girl, but that's about as brown as you get. Oh. And, um, oh, and they do the whole, like, seriously, the Clash of the Titans remake with, like, there's a human who helps them, and he's all like, this is what humans do. Yeah. yeah. On the one hand, I like that they are mining, like, we've not told the story of the gods of ancient egypt and because i mean it's like it's it's a fucking soap opera that we're like oh Mm -hmm. like he was wanting that his brother's wife so he killed his brother chopped him up into pieces and buried all the pieces around egypt and the wife ran off and then like went and dug up all the pieces and put her husband back together i mean like there's it's a great story it's some crazy ass shit it would make a great movie if it remotely looked like Middle Eastern people's story, <laughs> I just was uh. like, what the actual hell? So, yeah. And also yeah. just the visual look of the trailer is like, oh, look, it's a video game. Huh. Yeah, that's something I probably won't be watching. Um, what did you see? One trailer that I saw uh, many times in front of several of the movies I saw was for The Big Short. Did you oh, see yeah, a trailer yeah. for it? It's like yeah. Moneyball for the housing bust. I know. And it's got like, um, it's, it's got it's Christian got St- Bale and Christian Brad Bale Pitt and, and Steve Carell. It's yeah, everybody. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm on board for that. I would like to see that. That is very, very clearly Oscar territory. Like, give me an Oscar uh, sort of movie that comes out at this time of year. But I, I want to see that. I very much like to see that. Nothing about that movie that is a turnoff to me. Yeah, um, I am fucking pissed at the housing market in the banks and all oh, the shit I, that's been going down. I lost um, my house. You lost your house. <laughs> yeah, um, I like all that bullshit, and then also all those great character actors, and the script looks tight as fuck. So mm-hmm. ah, I'm totally on board for that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Um, did you see uh, the trailer for do do do? What is that? I I did see a the same Geico commercial over and over again for okay so there's a Geico commercial that has Europe singing the final countdown <laughs> So okay so there's this guy microwaving a burrito and it's counting down the seconds to the you know burrito awesomeage or whatever it is and in the he turns around in the break room and suddenly here's Europe the the band on this rotating, not rotating stage, but like floating stage with like sparklers on the side and they're singing the final countdown. And now it won't leave my head. Like all day today, all day yesterday, in my brain is the final countdown. 
<laughs> and it won't leave. It won't leave. <laughs> Poor Melissa. Fuck that I didn't have- tongue. <laughs> I didn't have to sit through that. No, I figured I had decoded my handwriting. You saw the Inaritu, the new Inaritu. Yes. Oh my God. I want to see that. I Which, want to see what, that. What what is that one? Um, it's called the Revenant. Revenant. Thank you. That's yes. oh, my oh my handwriting god. on that. Oh word. my god. There's a bear attack, and Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio and Inaritu is directing it. I am on board. I don't care what it's about. They're they're yeah. It's it looks like it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, but it also with a bear attack. Also, because um, it's got Tom Hardy, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I feel like Tom Hardy is honestly just a step above um, dude who was in um, Avatar. What's his oh, name? Oh, that dude. The the forgettable dude. Yeah. Like yeah. Tom Hardy, he really does very little for me in movies. Oh, that's I, fair. People are always like, well, but he can really act because of this one movie way over there. And I'm like, yeah, that one movie way over there um, was a while ago. And he's had plenty of opportunities since then. And I don't think he's got the star quality. Well, his problem is he keeps doing these roles where they cover his face. Well, but it's not just that. It's <laughs> yeah, I that... But I think that's part of it. <laughs> Yeah, but you know so what? So you, you, you put him in Batman, he's like, <laughs> because they have him in a, in a face mask. Willem and, you know, Defoe would make it work. That's uh, my point, is true. that he's not enough, I don't think he's enough of a character mm. to be pulling off all of these roles. He's just, uh, there's something missing there for me. But anyway. But it's in a Ritu, and there's a bear. It looks pretty. It looks very yeah. pretty. And I do like the final line. I'm not scared to die and I already done it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you see the trailer for the Huntsman 2? No. They decided to make a sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman. Well, the first one must have cost all of what, $12? The first one had some really gorgeous visual elements. Mm. Like the costume design was really exciting i loved the way charlize theron looked and i loved charlize theron in it because she was having a great time Mm -hmm. but the i mean the script was a goddamned mess so i guess this could be one of those where the sequel is better simply because the first one was such a mess but on the other hand why would you look at that movie and go i know let's make another one (laughs) Apparently, people like it on Netflix. And it is, it's not like it's some B level cast. They got Charlize Theron, they've got Chris Hemsworth, mm-hmm. plus uh, Jessica Chastain and Emily Blunt. I mean, that's a top fucking notch cast. It, it, it's kind of reminding me of um, did you see the trailer for In the Heart of the Ocean or is it In the Heart of the Sea? Something like that. The one that's Moby Dick. Yeah. I am so not interested in that, but boy, that's a big cast. And that's yeah. a lot of CGI. Like, oh, I told my yeah was like, yeah, I saw that. Why? Would I you? Like, yeah. I, there's a whole lot if of people in it. If you're going to do Moby Dick, just do fucking Moby Dick. Like, I don't give a, like, I watched a trailer with Chris Hemsworth in it and went, I don't give a fuck about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably means we'll get it up, but no, on, on, on with the, my luck. On the other hand... Hail Caesar. We got the trailer for Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar, the new Coen Brothers movie that has George Clooney as a forgetful Hollywood actor who gets kidnapped. 
It's a love letter to the classic MGM movies. You've got Channing Tatum yeah. playing basically like Gene Kelly and yeah. Scarlett Johansson is like an Esther Williams type and yeah. Tilda Swinton is Hedda Hopper and I can't handle how much I want it. I know. I want it in front of my eyes right now. I am so excited for that movie. Okay, I want that for putting Numathon. I do want that. Oh my Holy god, that crap, is a film dude. that would play. That would be awesome. No, I saw three more trailers I did want to mention. Okay. I saw the trailer for The Finest Hours several times. That's the um, the James T. Kirk dude. But it's the true story of the um, the most amazing Coast Guard like rescue mission ever done, where it's a terrible storm and a tanker ship like breaks in two and they have to go out there. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. It looks... It's... Ex- it's High-class melodrama. I'm on board. I want to see it. <laughs> That's like some serious Poseidon adventure stuff going on there. There was a trailer for The Fifth Wave, which I have heard nothing about, but it has Chloe, Cl- Grace Chloe Moretz in it, and it's huh. total sci-fi alien invasion shit that looks fun. Ooh. Okay. I'm, I'm on board for that. Yeah. Um, I also saw a trailer for The Jungle Book, the live action, and I have to admit, it kind of looks good. Hmm. I think I might be a little interested. Okay. I'm I'm not a huge fan of the animated film, but 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 it has Louis Prima. I'm what the, the swingers. Oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and I had to stop. Um It's but, so good. But Disney has been doing a really good job with their live action remakes of classic animateds recently. Hmm. Like Cinderella was was solid. I I liked Maleficent okay. Like, okay, I'm willing to give this a shot. I'll probably take Teddy to see it. But the one that I'm curious to know if you saw, did you see a trailer for The Forest? No. What is it? The the actress is well known, but I can't remember her name. So I apologize, listeners. I'm terrible at names, as we know. But this is a story about a woman whose identical twin went missing in a forest in the forest that is below Mount Fuji, which is called the Suicide Forest because Uh. it is haunted. And you go into that forest because you want to die. Now, whether you go in to kill yourself or you go in because you have a death wish and want to die and are just wanting the ghost to do the dirty work for you, it's a little, but it looks Japanese creepy as fuck. Hmm. So I think you should seek out that trailer and watch it, Melissa, because I'm curious to know what you think. Because mm. it's, it's got the Japanese, the J-horror vibe going on. And um, yeah, and it, it looks pretty creepy. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But your second movie was Trumbo. Trumbo. I got to see Trumbo. It is not in any theaters down here. Like it already came and went or something? No, no. It, it came out last weekend. Okay, but what? Yeah. It should be out somewhere then. Yeah, it should be. It should be. So, uh, <clears throat> Trumbo, which has a cast of everybody. Um, you, <laughs> yes. So you have, it, it is the true story. It's it's a, it's a kind of, it's not a biography. It's not a full biography, but it's about Dalton Trumbo and uh, his fight against the Hollywood Black Fist. The Black Fist. The Hollywood Black <laughs> Which makes it Hollywood sound like a- <laughs> Dalton Trumbo superhero. An assassination club or something. Yeah. Like no. Iron Monkey. Uh, the, the Hollywood blacklist in the 1950s. So so you have Brian Cranston playing Dalton Trumbo quite well. Uh, because, you know, it's Brian Cranston. And Brian Cranston is imminently watchable. Yes. Uh, doing just about anything. And 
He is surrounded by a, a number of fine character actors basically playing other famous people. And uh, it is it is a pretty straightforward movie about the whole paranoia of the 1950s um, as it affected Hollywood. And um, the first, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes, it was like, oh, this isn't coming together really well because um, it felt like they were cramming too much story into the time they had and they weren't, they weren't establishing characters or anything. And if you did not know uh, cinema of the 1940s or the people who were involved, I imagine you'd be pretty lost because I was sitting there going, oh, oh, that's supposed to be Edward G. Robinson. Okay. They haven't established that, but I'm guessing that's Edward G. Robinson. And, (laughs) and so I'm, I'm going through with my knowledge going, picking out who is who, because the, the movie wasn't really good at establishing that stuff. But uh, about eh, 30 minutes in, it settles in and it gets really interesting because it the, the pace calms down and you kind of settle into the, the human drama of uh, Dalton Trumbo and his family dealing with the fact that he can no longer get work because he's been blacklisted because he is a registered communist. Oh, he was actually a registered communist, not like just somebody said something? Oh, he was. He was. And uh, he was actively working against the blacklist. And uh, he he actually went to jail because he would not uh, collaborate with Congress. Good for him. Yeah. So, uh, dear listeners, if you don't know this, the story of Dalton Trumbo, um, he, he's the guy who wrote Spartacus. Yeah. And Roman Holiday. And uh, several other truly great movies, many of which he wrote under pseudonyms because once he was blacklisted, all he, the only way he could get work is by working under a pseudonym or or various pseudonyms. And he actually won several Oscars, um, not under his own name. (laughs) (laughs) Who accepted the award for him? Um, like, uh, one of them was like the head of the screenwriters guild accepted on his behalf. Um, I think Kirk Douglas was was like the person accepting the award and like nobody came up and goes, well, I guess I'm accepting this on behalf of Rob Sheridan or whatever his name was. <laughs> and he walks off stage. But yeah, the, you know, once it settles in, you've got this big cast of really great actors. You've got Alan Tudyk and um, oh, yeah. Louis, Louis C.K. in a dramatic role. He, Very good. I love him. Yeah. Um, and John Goodman <laughs> as uh, uh, the producer, uh, King. King, I can't remember his first name, but uh, one of the jobs that uh, Trumbo started doing was he was doing script doctoring for this shitty production company. They were just churning out uh, girls having sex with aliens level sort of <laughs> B-movies. And... Goodman is playing King, the guy who is the head producer for this company. And uh, he he didn't give a shit who was blacklisted. He was basically hiring every uh, blacklisted writer he could. And they were all working under pseudonyms. They were getting paid shit, but they were they were still working. Well, <laughs> and, he could get good quality writers for cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, Goodman plays him to a hilt. Of course it is he does. So great. <laughs> Yeah, but uh yeah, it's a it's I mean, it's not particularly surprising movie. It it is uh kind of a by the book history biography movie, but uh the performances are really good. Um it's a really interesting story. 
stick with it through the first 30 minutes or so and it settles in and it gets really good. Nice. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. I liked it. I mean, I, I, want, liked I, mean, it. I want to see it, of course. Mm-hmm. You should. Especially, especially since the parallels with what's going on right now are extreme. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and talk about what you saw third since you saw twice as many movies as I did. Um, I saw Mockingjay. Ah, that's what I saw second. Yeah, Mockingjay 2. So let's go ahead and talk about that. That covers it nicely. Dear listeners, if you've been living under a rock, Mockingjay 2 is the fourth movie in the Hunger Games series, blah, blah, blah. It's the conclusion, blah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have you read the books? I have not read the books. Fess has actually read the books, which is really saying something. Wow. Yeah. Fess reads about a book a year, but he churned through all three of those books. So at, at yeah. some point, I'll get I'll get through them. But uh. how did the movie work for you? Because I, when you're as steeped in the books as I am, it's like, well, I don't know how this would work for somebody who doesn't know them. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because you know I was. I'm good with the Hunger Games movies as a whole. You know, it's like I I would watch each of them going, yeah, this is good. I, I like what they're doing here. It's not like it was blowing me away or anything. I felt like they were uh, very competently made movies. They weren't like Star Wars or anything like that. Yeah. So they, they weren't taking my breath away, but they're very good. And I kept turning up for the next ones. Um, I liked what they were doing in the first half of the, the final chapter here. I liked the, you know, Mikey J part one. I liked the long, slow build. I know a lot of people found it boring or, you know, it's like basically nothing happens in that movie, but it is all, it's moving all the pawns into position for the big climax. You know, oh, yeah. I, I get that. I get that. And so I'm, I'm watching this going, this is very interesting. I'm, I'm on board. There's going to be a mother of an ending here. And in a way, Mikey J part two is anticlimactic. I mean, like in the definition of anticlimactic. And I mean, if you know the books, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that's the way the plot unfolds in the books. I I, I was very interested to see that plot unfold because I did not know how this ended. Oh. I really like, I really like how that played out. It's not, it's not a rip snorting adventure action ending. I mean, parts of it kind of are, but the actual climax is is not what you'd think it would be for an action sci-fi series. It's a two-part what the fuck because mm-hmm. the war is won by an act of atrocity. Yeah. By something horrible happening. It's not won by the final victory battle. It's not won by the star by the Death Star exploding. Mm-hmm. It's it's an atrocity that turns the tide and finishes things. And yeah. then and then there's a second follow-up punch right after that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really like how that played out. I really appreciated that. It's like never in a million years would I have expected that to be the ending. But that is it's satisfying to me. It is, um, I feel, a really adept look at... Uh, how war actually goes. Yes. It's it's um, surprisingly cynical for what I would think a, a, a teen novel would actually be. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I was really impressed by that. Well, those of us who love YA literature mm-hmm. are the ones who know that if you want to read really high quality, deep, like even disturbing science fiction, 
go look in the YA shelves. That's that's where it's hopping. That's where you find things like the Hunger Games. Oh yeah. And I mean, and even the Divergent series. Yeah, it's derivative of the Hunger Games, but it's still really, really good. I mean, it's it's derivative. It's nothing new, but it's well put together. Mm-hmm. I was expecting maybe not a more conventional ending, but, but well, maybe that is what I was expecting. But um, I, I thought that, you know, the way the previous movies had been going, that the main draw of that book had been this really amazing central female character and her interactions with the characters around her, you know, which I, which I totally get. But the, the way it ended, I went, oh, that is next level. That yeah. is some really extraordinary plot work. That is great stuff. Well, and um, I feel like, because I obviously have read the books, um, mm-hmm. for the most part, I think it's a really solid adaptation and I don't have problems with the changes they made. Um, you get a little bit less of the love triangle in the movies. Um, Which I'm okay with, frankly, but... Cargill asked me about it once. He's like, you know, a lot of my feminist friends are bothered that so much time is devoted to her deciding what boy she likes. And that seems very, um, like condescending or something. And I'm like, um, yeah, except that that's bullshit because one of the primary drives of any person is finding someone to share your life with. Well, especially when you're a teenager or a young adult. Yeah. So a girl trying to figure out which boy she likes and the way it is framed in the book is the books it is very much about who am i Mm -hmm. because the two boys represent two different ways of looking at herself and so the reason she keeps flipping back and forth is because she doesn't really like herself very much and yet these two people like her and she keeps wondering why and trying trying to see what they see in her and see if what they're seeing is true. So it's it's more about identity. So that gets reduced in the movies, and I understand why, but I feel like it's an important part of the character in the books of her growth and towards accepting what has happened to her and the person that she's going to be. Um, because the other thing that they really take out is she has so much PTSD mm-hmm. oh my, in the books. She is broken beyond belief. Like... After the final battle is won and before everything else happens with uh, Snow and Coin and everything there, there is an extended part where she is healing from the burns, which Mm -hmm. they just sort of gloss over. And what she keeps doing is when when nobody is looking, she runs and she hides in a closet and tries to find some place where nobody can find her. And that's something that she was doing in District 13 as well. Like, all throughout the books, like, after the first book, in the second and the third book, she is repeatedly, the author takes time to really show you just how broken she is. Mm -hmm. And how she, she's having nightmares. She doesn't know what's true. She's, you know, she's addicted to the painkillers partially because she's in a lot of pain but also because she just doesn't want to remember because Mm -hmm. it's horrifying and all that stuff kind of gets glossed over so um spoiler when you see her years down the road with her kids that's a big moment in the books because she makes it very clear throughout she does not ever want to have kids because because of the hunger games Mm -hmm. because your kid will just be forced into a situation where where you will have to watch your child die. 
yeah. or your child get hurt? Why would you ever give up a hostage to fortune like that? And so just the fact that she has kids eventually becomes sort of a testament to the strength of the person that she did finally heal enough to even get that far. It's so, yeah, there's there's things that I miss, but I think it's really competently put together. I like that they didn't back down from how bleak it is. Oh, yeah. It's like, that is that is some fantastic stuff there. All right. So what did you see fourth then? I saw Bridge of Spies. And that was my last movie for the day. So. Oh, you did? You saw Bridge of Spies too? Oh, yeah. Yay. I get to what? talk to you about Bridge of Spies. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> okay, so dear listeners, if you have not caught up with Bridge of Spies yet, it's Spielberg. It is the true story of um, uh, Cold War. U uh, 2 bomber goes down in Soviet territory. The Soviets get the U uh, 2 pilot, and there has to be a trade made. And it's basically about the lawyer who brokered the entire deal. And it's Tom Hanks and Spielberg, which, you know, hello, that's a winning combination. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I, I like old Tom Hanks. I do too. I, I like aging Tom Hanks. I really like him. Um, did you also happen to notice who uh, wrote, p- at least wrote part of the script? The Cohen brothers. I know. So the the script is is very snappy. It's not very. It's not um, like if if I hadn't been told the Cohen brothers wrote parts of it, um, I would not have said that's very Cohen brothers. But uh, it's it's got a nice. And they snap to it. And especially in some parts, you know, now that I know it, I go back. It's like, are you worried? No. Would it help? Yeah. <laughs> the, the recurring theme of, you're not worried. Would it help? Yeah. <laughs> Which is such a great response of, there, there would be no point. So I am not going to expend the energy. And <laughs> I loved the line of, oh, so everyone will hate me, but at least I'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> I had to write that one down because I was so tickled by it. The whole, so the whole audience giggled at that. Well, good. Everyone will hate me, but at least I'll lose. Um, yeah. So uh, what I really like is um, there were so many, there were different layers to life this on. First, just the character of Tom Hanks. Oh, that yeah. Here is your classic, extremely competent individual in one area. And he is first asked by the government to defend a Russian spy. And everybody's, and that's where the line, you know, everybody's going to hate me and I'm going to lose. Great. Why would I want to do this again? Well, because we're asking you to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and because he is an extremely competent and moral person, he does the best job he can because he he's been doing insurance law, which does play out later. He's been doing insurance law and they're like, well, we need you to be a criminal lawyer. He's like, I haven't done it in years. He's like, well, you don't, it's not like you've forgotten. And he does a really solid job of it. And as he's doing it, they're like, why are you doing such a good job for this Russian spy? You weren't meant to do a good job. You were just supposed to show that we at least hired somebody competent to do it. Mm -hmm. And so they keep kind of blocking him. And you can tell that he's just a little disheartened and disillusioned by, but And and yet he's going, yeah, we're going to appeals court. And he's like, what? Everybody else is like, one. He's going, yeah, I think he has grounds for appeal. (laughs) And then he's like, we got to go in front of the Supreme Court because- you know, and there is a, a great moment where he, a little bit of a spoiler, maybe you cut it out later. He's like, um, I know he's up for the death sentence, but that would be stupid. Yeah. Because this is an asset. Yeah. I don't know how much you can 
actually spoil American history on this one. Um, yeah. I and mean, I don't know how much of that is actually true. I would love to like actually read more about this character. Like well, if he was yeah. truly the one who came up with the idea of don't kill him, we could trade him later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's totally a smart move. And of course it comes up later, but I really love the, the angle of no, it's American to provide him with, adequate and competent defense in this case. I mean, if, if we're going to, you know, show up the Soviets, uh, we're going to actually give him the benefits that this guy, this spy, the benefits of that a regular U.S. citizen would get. I'll, I'll finish talking about the character and then come back to that because that leads to a second level I enjoyed it on. Um, so, and I love later on that when he starts negotiating for the trade, that you start to see his competency as an insurance lawyer. Yes. As somebody who makes a deal mm-hmm. and how he knows how to work the different sides. And the government is just like, just make the deal. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm starting to get a feel for it. I, but I don't understand what the what are the factors in play. Oh, now I understand what's going on. No, this is the way it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. And it's so satisfying to just, I always love to watch a character be excellent yeah. at what they do. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's competency porn, which kind of goes back to the Martian, which was also yeah. very satisfying to me. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's because it's, it's somebody, you know, is good at what they do, but they're being put in an extreme situation. And then you just watch because it's reassuring to think I'm good at one thing. And if that character can step into a wholly different situation and still use the skills they have and succeed, then that must mean that all of us have hidden depths, right? Mm-hmm. All of us have capabilities beyond what we know about. Oh, yeah. So I loved that part. The second part I enjoyed, which, which came up with uh, the idea of this is what America is, is the whole level of political commentary, because you cannot watch this movie without being aware of what's going on in the United States today. Right, right. <laughs> So he's asked to defend this guy because it's America versus Russia during the Cold War. So it's about freedom versus, you know, communism, bad, bad communist. And we're going to show him that this is what freedom looks like. Yeah, but only on the surface and not really. Well, yeah. And um, this, I am really happy I saw this on the same day I saw Trumbo. This is an amazing double feature. I was thinking it probably was. I'm very interested in the fact that these Cold War era films are starting to come out now that there are many writers in Hollywood that are starting to draw inspiration from Cold War, given the climate of America today. It's very interesting to me. It really because, is. Because we have these rights, and yet we don't really want to give people those rights. Right. And we, or we just want certain people to have Mm -hmm. those rights, but you're not really enough of a person to get those rights. And the way it keeps playing out the way, you know, who's important and who's not, and who's a real person and who's not, and who's deserving of rights and who isn't. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what's in our constitution? And that's what we all claim we believe in. And yet. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And the third level I enjoyed it on was I really enjoyed seeing a representation of Cold War East Berlin. Yes. Isn't, wasn't that amazing? And just how fucked up it was, especially the building of the wall. Because that's something I don't think I've ever seen dramatized like that. Like the moment they decided to build the wall mm-hmm. and how 
people were just doing anything to get across while they still could. Mm-hmm. Was just, and then as the train is leaving and you look down and watch people get killed. Mm-hmm. Wah, wah, wah. And of course, the coda, the text coda on the end of the film was just so beautiful and satisfying. You know, I really want to read a book about this guy. Like, I've already made my husband, I've already put on my Christmas wish list the biography of Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) 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 The same one that Lin-Manuel Miranda read that inspired his musical. I'm like, I want to read that book. Now (laughs) I feel like I need to go find a biography about this dude because I really want to know his story. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's got to just be fascinating shit. Well, th- this is one of the movies that Fest joined me for. And uh, he, he was uh, uh, educated in a Catholic school. So his um, history <laughs> education oh. is somewhat suspect. And he's like, I want to know more about East Berlin now. And it's like, all right, all right. We're, we're getting somewhere now. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, so I, I told him what I could. But yeah, it's um, it's a very interesting era of American history. My grandmother... Um, my paternal grandmother actually wound up in Berlin during the Cold War. And uh, now I'm regretting not going back to her and asking her more about that because um, that must have been just fascinating. Was it um, uh, Anime Detour Kevin? Was he in the army? I, I have a recollection of him talking about being stationed in Berlin during the, yeah. during the days of the wall and like being stationed at Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy pants. Yeah. Just ah, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm I just and I mean and it's such I mean it's beautifully shot. It's Spielberg putting together a truly competent film and it's it's Spielberg working with Janusz Kaminski yet again. And Janusz Kaminski shoots Spielberg like nobody else. They, I mean, th- it's this a beautiful is, thing. Yeah. It, I mean, Janusz Kaminski is the guy who made Cool as Ice look fantastic. <laughs> Dear listeners, I'm not I'm not kidding about that. So those are the three movies I saw. Okay. Um, so it was uh, Creed, Mockingjay, and Bridge of Spies. It was a trifecta of awesome. Yeah. And you had also seen Martian before. So um, my last movie, my last movie, I have one movie left, which is Spectre. Oh, you I know. ended on Spectre. All I ended on awesome. Spectre. It was, the only, it was the only thing I could... It was the only way it could fit all the jigsaw puzzle pieces. Oh, together. I understand completely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so slap Spectre on the end of the night because it was the longest one. And um, it was okay. You know, which is a very sad thing to say about a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel so bad for Daniel Craig because Casino Royale fucking hit it out of the park. And I was so excited for a new era of Bond and... Every film after, I mean, Skyfall is at least good. See, I adore Skyfall. Some people just fucking love it. I think it's really, really good and really, really solid, but I don't feel a need to own it. I own Skyfall. I really love it. But, but I mean, it's, it's up and down with Daniel Craig because Casino Royale is great. Quantum of Solace is not, not very good. And then, no, then you've got Skyfall, which I think is amazing. I especially like how, they didn't go with formula on it. Yeah. It, it's a very different plot for a Bond movie. And um, I like how they they really, really used their um, supporting players. I like um, how they gave nods to the past, but it was Skyfall was kind of still this its own thing. Whereas Spectre, um, Spectre, like I said, 
it's okay. It's not great. Um, Spectre is like the formula. It's oh. the formula. Well, Bond goes rogue again. What? You know, go travels to many locations. There, there's a an action sequence at uh, every so often in the movie. Um, there are two Bond girls uh, that you know, one of whom doesn't do anything at all, and that's sadly Monica Bellucci. It's like what? fuck that shit. If you're gonna have Monica Bellucci, you do something with her, okay? <sighs> And, and, you know, shit blows up, there's a big bad guy, and it, it's pretty much beat for beat your standard Bond movie, which is what I was really hoping we were getting away from in, in the Daniel Craig movies. Because, um, I mean, even Quantum of Solace, for all of its failings, it still tries to be kind of its own thing. Yeah. It, it's basically a continuation of Casino Royale. I mean, it doesn't work, but it's not formula. And this is like, oh, this is like they want their cake and they want to eat it too. So they're keeping like all the the Craig stuff that they're uh, they built, you know, that the kind of um, the more serious tone and the really high gloss filmmaking and the Sam Mendes directing again, the same guy who did Skyfall. But they also are like. It, like Roger Moore era formula. Oh. And it doesn't go silly, but I feel like it would almost be better if they just said, fuck it, let's make it silly. Because it doesn't feel fun at all. And it, it, feel, it feels like they're trying to do two completely different things and failing at both of them. I feel like they don't understand why Casino Royale worked. That's completely possible but they're like oh it's gritty and real so let's do gritty and real but then they try to be so gritty and real that it gets kind of bloated and convoluted and self-involved and it's like no it no that wasn't it it's like oh well it needs to be you know really dramatic and character driven like skyfall which is at least good Mm -hmm. but it lacks that verve that casino royale has and I don't know, maybe it's just that it needs to be a zero fucks to give approach. Like, what if you just wrote Bond as a guy who's getting the goddamn job done? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, incomp- competency porn, once again. And and not make it feel like magic. Because, yeah. you know, part of, part of, you know, the part of what made the formula kind of lame after a while is it's like, this is just contrivance rather than feeling like this is a guy who's good at what he does. I have a gadget that will magically do anything that I need just in the moment yeah. I need it. Yeah. Right. It is just magic. Whereas why Casino Royale works is he doesn't have any extraordinary gadgets. Mm-hmm. He's just really smart. He, he does what a good spy does. He reads the clues that are around him. He follows what's going on and he, and he will, nothing is going to stop him because he has zero fucks to give until he does have a fuck to give in the form of Vespa. Mm -hmm. And that's, and then that's where it turns. But while that, that makes, that gives the movie a richness, that's not why Casino Royale works. And it's, I think that's why they've never been able to do it again, because they keep misunderstanding what it was that was so great about Casino Royale. Casino Royale took the best lessons away from the Bourne identity. Yeah. And they haven't figured out how to capture that again. Now, now, like I said, I really like Skyfall for complete, for, you know, kind of different reasons. But I, I think that movie works 
very, very well on its own. Um, I but- like Skyfall for the character stuff, but oh, I yeah. don't feel like it's got the vibe I want from a Bond film. But here's the thing. You've got Dom Judy Dench as the Bond girl, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. I love Javier Bardem. I love that the movie stops dead on Javier Bardem for five minutes while he just chews scenery. I love how unconventionally that, that scene plays out. I love, there are so many things I love about Skyfall. And, um, I feel like with Skyfall, they had the, not only they had the balls to break from formula, they just took the ball and ran with it. And I think that's why it works. But Spectre is it's is like extra disappointing coming after that because it's like just just choose one and take the ball and run with it and have fun with it. You know, either do your super serious action movie and have it character driven and have it serious and do this Daniel Craig era Bond thing, or make it a throwback and have fun with it. Do one or the other. Don't try to do both because they're kind of antithetical to each other. It doesn't work together. Yeah. In the same year where Kingsman comes out. And Kingsman kicks it out of the park. It's just, it's amazing. It's like, um, don't try to do a throwback to Bond when Kingsman already did Bond, classic Bond, better than you have done in years. And here, here, I will give you this. Okay, so this, it is kind of a spoiler, but it's not. Given that the title is fucking Spectre, yes, the big bad is Blofeld. Well, yeah, big surprise, big fucking surprise. So, I I mean, you look at IMDb, it's Blofeld, it's Blofeld, and it's Christoph Waltz playing Blofeld. Yay for Christoph Waltz! I love him, but I I I also feel like he's he's sort of becoming a caricature of the bad guy now because he, he, yeah. But and and okay, so if you're going to do Spectre, if you're going to do Spectre. Do something else with it, because we've already had our Spectre movies. We've we had them decades ago. Do something else with it. Um, I mean, right now you you have hired Christoph Waltz to walk in the shoes that were previously worn by Charles Gray and Telly Savalas and Donald Pleasance, right? Um, maybe there's one more that I'm missing, but anyway, he feels caged in. He he doesn't have that the 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 leeway given to Javier Bardem to just go. You know, he feels like he's just kind of there to play the role rather than we have Christoph Waltz and we're going to let him do whatever the fuck he wants because this will be fun, right? No, they don't do that. So if you're going to do Blofeld, do something surprising with Blofeld. Or if you're going to do Spectre, don't don't do Blofeld. I mean, it's it's not like this movie is going to come to your house, slap you and take away your former Blofeld movies. No, just do something new with it. <laughs> <laughs> I fuck have Monica Bellucci play Blofeld. That would be interesting. I, I just would, love the idea I would, of just walking in and smack. Give me your Blofeld movie. Shut up. Sit down and give me your blow. Shut up. Don't you make me slap you again. Give me. Give me all your Blofeld movies. <laughs> so I, I do something new with it. I'm. I mean, and and new is not defined as let's have Christoph Waltz play the role. No, that's not the same thing. And I'm sorry, from the clips I've seen, it's Christoph Waltz playing evil the way he kind of always plays evil. Like yeah. they told him, oh, you know what we loved? We loved you in Inglorious Bastards. Do that again. Be jaunty, yet evil. Yeah, yeah, do that again. It's so charming when you do that. It's like, no, he's capable of more than that. I fucking loved him in Django Unchained. Yeah. He's, there's, ah, uh, just, ah. Uh, real, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 u
listeners, um, Melissa and I, of course, are long time, but Numathoners, we do 24-hour film festivals regularly. Hell, we do our Xanadu Cinema Weekends, where we just watch movies almost nonstop for most of three days. So um, movie marathons are kind of our bag. So if you'd like to try one out sometime... We recommend a Xanus in a holiday, and you don't have to go for the whole day. Maybe if you've only ever done a double feature, just expand to a triple. Try yeah. that. Yeah. Try that out. Just And it's super easy, especially in a in Oscar season, but it's super easy almost any weekend to line up three films mm-hmm. that you are, you're interested in seeing and to, to make it work to get them to line up to where you don't have to take too much of a break, but you have enough break to maybe get a snack or, or run out across the street to a Burger King or whatever. But man, if you can do it for a whole day, that's the shit. Yeah, I got. I got to say, I just although although if you're in a theater for like six movies, like I was, eat something other than popcorn. Don't do what I did. Oh, I uh, <laughs> I snuck in a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> I should have like uh, got some sopressata or something, you know, some <laughs> cheese, and like smuggled it into my like a cheese board. Ha- have a little cheese board and have a little knife and like sit in uh, Bridge of Spies, you know, slice your your meat and your yeah. your cheese and eat it. Yeah, or be lucky enough to have an Alamo Draft House. Yeah, we yeah. can just order some real food. What? 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 So, um, yeah, so Melissa, we're planning another Xanus in a holiday for February at this point, right? February 20th. All right, listeners, everybody mark your calendars now. We would love for you to have your own Xanus in a holiday and let us know, mm-hmm. like, like tweet what you're doing that day, tweet or yeah. Facebook, and let us know what movies you watched. Maybe email us or go on Facebook and give us an update on how the day went for you with your own personal holiday. That would make Mm -hmm. us so happy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Seriously, guys, we love that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then especially because we're all going to be seeing movies at the same time, we're bound to be seeing some of the same movies. So then, hey, we can, you can let us know what you thought of a movie and we'll talk about what we thought of the movies and it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. So Xanus in a Holiday, the the trial run. What a success. Yeah. Xanus Xanastina Holiday Zero. Zero. Is that what we're calling this? Xanastina Holiday Zero. That's what you have just dubbed it, and it sounds good to me. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, Melissa, it is time to move on to our Pleasure Dome recommendations for the week. Oh, goodness. I think I've got something. I think I've got something. I know. Crazy, right? You go ahead, though, if you have something. Well, um... I've got something I want to recommend in concept, but I don't want to talk too much about it because I want to take you when you're down here next week. Listeners, all over the United States, if you live in a cool town, and this might be the definition of if your town is cool, there's a secret bar. Yes, secret bars are amazing. You need to find out where your secret bars are. So I'm going to take Melissa to a secret bar while she's here next week. Yay! But um, I have a specific one, which uh, I'll send... Um, it's on my Facebook, Melissa, so you, I'll either send you the link or you can pull it from there. But I found uh, a Tumblr blog where they um, they take <laughs> classical art, like um, great works of art, and then they Snapchat them. Oh, my God. I've seen that. I've seen that. It's hilarious. Yes, so we need to link saw, that. It's so, like, if that person in that painting was Snapchatting what they were, what was going on, and it's... 
so delicious and snarky listeners it will just bring a smile to your face melissa will put it in the show notes so you Mm -hmm. should click on through and just have yourself a good laugh for a couple of minutes because i it tickled me pink it did (laughs) it really did what do you got melissa i've got a movie I've got to, because I watched even more movies over Thanksgiving weekend than just the ones I sat in a theater and watched. Well, because it was Thanksgiving weekend. Because it was, because I had time to watch movies. Asphalt Jungle. I've heard of this. Yeah, it's a very famous film noir, 1950. I had never seen it before. I haven't seen it either. I've just heard of it. It is so good. Um, It's available for rental on a lot of the streaming channels that do rental. So like iTunes and Voodoo. I think Google Play has it. Uh, But it is an old John Huston film. So it's got that same uh, Maltese Falcon sort of verve to it. It stars Sterling Hayden as in, you know, the guy who was the insane colonel in uh, Dr. Strangelove. And uh, Gene Hagen and Louis Calhoun oh. and Sam Jaffe, and it is it's a it's a noir and it's a heist movie. Oh, it's so fun! It's so fun. So, dear listeners, if you are previously unaware of this movie, which is you know quite likely likely these days because it's not been really widely available on um, streaming services. Um, it's super good. Seek it out. It's good. All right, listeners, this has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. We've been talking about our Xanacina holiday, which was a pretty rousing success, I would say. Yeah, it was, it's a good season for movies, Wendy. It is. It, it, I agree. Melissa, I agree. Yeah, so, I concur. I concur. <laughs> listeners, go out and see some of those awesome movies that are currently just kicking around your... And go quick, because there's so many good ones that they're just coming out and leaving, because they got to make room for the more awesome that's coming after that, because Star Wars! Oh, my God! And Oscar season. Oscar season. And Oscar. Hail, hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! Krampus! God. Oh my god. I can't wait. <laughs> so, um, listeners, there are a lot of great movies out. Go and just wade into it with joy. That's all we ask of you. So I've been Wendy, and I am joined, as always, by... Melissa. And we will talk to you again next week. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Like, it follows Bond through the Day of the Dead with a young nymphette, and he takes up to her hotel room, and he kisses her a couple times, and goes, I'll be right back, and steps out the window, and he, like, does this whole assassination attempt, and, and like, a building explodes, and this is all one shot. It's pretty impressive. And then, you know, he, like, slides down the exploding building, and, you know... It's pretty awesome. And then, you know, eventually there's a helicopter and like almost helicopter crash and there's punching inside the helicopter and commandeering the helicopter and throwing people out of the helicopter. You know, that shit's fun. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah.